Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. CJ, obviously you are an insider. You know a lot about a lot of players, a lot of GMs, a lot of management people. You're you're very in tune with what's going on in the National Hockey League. So I figure if I present this question to you, I might be able to get an answer. Why did Kyle Dubas change his Twitter profile picture to that of him with two phones? Well, I think he likes to have fun. I think mm-hmm. he he likes to he's you know he's social he's more social media conscious than the average GM. Some of that is because he's been among the younger GMs. We're seeing a few other younger guys come in now, Kyle Davidson in Chicago. But, you know, he, he remember he went to the Kermit T1 years ago at one point. Um, yeah, I think he just likes to to have some fun. And, and he's he's very social media aware. And so, look, the, the probably on the surface reason is it's a busy freaking time. We're headed back to draft week. That picture was taken at the 2019 draft in Vancouver. Kind of became a bit of a hockey meme or, you know, something that hockey Twitter got some a kick out of back then. And uh, I would suggest he and all his colleagues are spending a lot of time on the phone these days. You wrote in uh, one of your latest columns for North Star Bets the full story of who he was talking to on those phones. Can you share that story? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's funny, right? Cause I'd always wondered about it and you know, why it happened. Right. Cause in that moment, he wasn't actually trying to be funny. <laughs> he wasn't, he wasn't looking to get that picture taken, but um, you know, basically we're going to see this again. Cause we're back in person for a draft at the bell center. Each team at their, their table has an old school landline and, and it's a secure line where they can dial the other teams quickly uh, and, and get their draft table. And so he was on the landline with another GM uh, talking about a picks trade that never actually came to fruition. It was late in the draft. You know, sometimes late you, you switch your sixth rounder for an extra sixth rounder and stuff like that. And at the same time, a prospect the Leafs had drafted named Mike Coster. They drafted him in the fifth round. He wasn't at the draft in Vancouver. They, they, they tried to reach him and couldn't. Phone Kyle do was back on his cell phone. And so he didn't want to miss that call because he wanted to personally welcome him to the, the Leafs organization. So he picked up the cell phone, was still listening to the end of the landline call, <laughs> And and he said it was only a couple seconds, and but the cameras caught him in that couple seconds, and there therein lives the the the, the call. And so yeah, it's uh, it's a funny one. You can see how it happens. There's a lot going on at the draft because that, that kind of represents a draft. Let's let's step back. On one hand, all these teams are there picking prospects, and of course you're welcoming kids to your organization. You, you want it. It's an exciting day for them. And on the other hand, a lot of GMs are doing business in terms of, you know, taking care of restricted free agents, you know, setting the wheels in motion, maybe for unrestricted free agent decisions. And then of course, dealing with each other over trades. And so it's, it makes this week so exciting. And I think that picture represents kind of what, uh, not just Kyle Dubas, but all the GMs are, are going through. Every GM uh, you'd think will be some sort of busy this week. And, and we'll talk about Kent Hughes a little later and, and some of the other moves that have happened in the last few days. Um, but before we bring on David Bassel from Sports Interaction, how and how busy do you anticipate Kyle Dubas being through, you know, now to the draft and then coming into the free agency period? 
Well, I'd say incredibly busy because there's big decisions to be made. You know, July 11th is, is a, a date where all players that are restricted for agents have to receive a qualifying offer or not. If, if a team doesn't tender a qualifying offer to one of its RFAs at that point, that player becomes a UFA on July 13th. And the Leafs have two interesting cases here. Um, you know, this is, it requires sort of the nuance of the system to understand why this is. So I'll extrapolate a little bit, but Andre Kasha and, and Pierre Engvall are two players, obviously the Leafs like. Their qualifying offers are 1.25 million. That's not the problem. The Leafs would love to, to get them signed at those numbers. That would be great. But once they send a qualifying offer to the player, those two guys have the right to elect for salary arbitration. And where that could be problematic for the Leafs, and other teams fall into this with their RFAs too, is that they lose control of the process once that happens. Because if they were to go to an arbitrator and, and you know, that's, there's no guarantee of that. Those arbitration hearings aren't until, you know, August. So there's still time to work out a deal. But if they go to an arbitrator and they give either Kasha or Engvall or both a contract the Leafs don't like, they, they're stuck with that contract unless it comes in over four and a half million. And I would suggest to you for those players, it won't come in over four and a half million, but it might come in at three million and they don't want to pay them that or they have, it's going to be problematic to pay them that. And so in this week, the Leafs are trying to, I think, work out deals with those players to avoid having this come into to play at all. Um, you know, obviously they have this goaltending situation that's that's very much unclear. You know, it seems that Jack Campbell's on his way to market. So the Leafs have to get at least one goalie, but they also have a decision on Peter Mrazek. Maybe they look at a buyout. <laughs> We're also in the buyout window. And so they're, they're managing that. They're rounding out their own goaltending department, if you want to call it that, you know, after moving on from their goalie coach, Steve Breer. And, you know, they have to be ready for free agency, which is a week from Wednesday, a week tomorrow. I mean, it's it's just a busy, busy time. And, and you know, they only have three draft picks. So that part, actually, they're one of the teams that, you know, unless something changes, they make a bunch of trades and gain extra picks, which I don't expect to happen. They're not going to the the, the draft stage too often to welcome players. But, you know, there's there's a lot of moving parts. And But I think we could go team by team and and you're going to have similar dynamics. The key for the Leafs, of course, is they have to be very mindful of their cap space. And so all of these moves impact another. There's, there's sort of a, a sliding doors aspect to this or the, a trickle-down effect with each each contract handed out or each decision made. And so it's it's going to be a busy time. And, you know, I'm not predicting major fireworks out of Toronto, but but there's some big decisions still to be made for, the, for their team for next year. You mentioned Jack Campbell. Um I mean, I know we still have a few more days before the free agent period opens. And maybe it's still hard to tell. I guess I'm still a bit surprised that there doesn't seem to be any resolution between those two sides uh, in terms of a new deal. I, I guess it's looking as if it's more and more likely he's going to test the market. Am I wrong? I, I would think say, so. look, pretty much any UFA that isn't signed right now, a week out. I mean, you have to just wait a week and you can talk to every yeah. team. Like, I'm not saying they all won't sign, you know, someone like Patrice Bergeron, for example, isn't signed as we're recording this. I'm not saying he's necessarily going to test, you know, maybe one of Chris Letang or Evgeny Malkin resigns in Pittsburgh before this, but, but by and large, anyone who is currently a UFA, maybe the Denver guys too, because the avalanche of course are still just working out their hangovers from that cup win. So hmm. they've been, they've been a little, they've, they've been, they've been throwing Lord Stanley around pretty good. Um, but you know, they haven't got down to business maybe on the same period as other teams that have had more time during their off season, but by and large, any player currently unsigned, I would expect will at least peak at the market. Now, especially in the case of Jack Campbell, it doesn't, 100% guarantee he's gone from Toronto. Remember, maybe he gets the market and nobody wants to pay him five or five and a half or six million dollars. 
Um, you know, I certainly don't think the Leafs are in a position to do that uh, with the with the cap and with the money they already have, you know, tied up in Peter Morazic. And so there is a, a parallel. There is some alternate universe here, perhaps, where he looks at the market and still ends up back in Toronto. I think most likely that's not the way it goes. You know, I think the Leafs will be looking for cheaper options. I think Jack Campbell's going to find his money. Honestly, I mean, there's 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 only maybe five or six teams looking for what we would call a. You know, there's not really number one, number two goalies anymore, but, you know, a main starter, the guy that logs about 50 games for them or 45. But, you know, between Edmonton, maybe Washington, maybe the Avalanche, for example, if, if they don't resign Darcy Kemper, um, New Jersey, I, I think that there'll be interest enough out there. And, and some of those teams have the cap space to pay him what, what he's seeking on the market. And so I think it just comes down to dollars and cents. It's, there's no, it's not like a personality conflict. It's not as though the Leafs, I think they liked a lot of what Jack Campbell brought, frankly. But, you know, they were paying him a little bit less than a million and a half last season to do it, and, and it's just going to be harder for them to pay him $5 million next year. With the NHL entry draft taking place on Thursday in La Belle Province in Montreal, uh, a lot of attention on the Montreal Canadiens are the number one overall pick. And uh, Kent Hughes spoke to the media earlier this week. Could be taking uh, Shane Wright. Could be taking your Slavkovsky. Mentioned a third, so it's likely maybe Logan Cooley's getting a look. I, I, at the end of the day, I still think they take Shane Wright, but I'm wondering if you have any intel on that or if you feel as confused as everyone else might be feeling. Well, if you're confused, it means Kent Hughes is doing his job, right? I mean, yes. it really does not benefit the Canadians. In, in a draft where it isn't consensus, to, to have their plans be fully known days before the draft, um, you know, because they're in trade discussions. I think we're, we're seeing less consensus on this draft, maybe than any that I can remember the years I've been around the league, Julian. I think there's a number of reasons for that. Hard enough to pick what 18-year-old kid is going to be a star at 24 as it is, for the most part, in, when you're drafting teenagers. But you're picking 18-year-olds who've just lived through a two-year pandemic and had various different developmental challenges in terms of access to ice time, playing time, what have you. And so I think that some of the it would be reasonable to assume some of these prospects maybe aren't as far along in their development as would typically be the case if we had what we might call a normal two years so this draft has more dartboard throws all around and so i think you're going to see more top picks potentially moved in the first round as a result of that because there isn't that consensus it's not it's it's not as locked down as normal and so if you're the one controlling that first domino it does not benefit you at all to have it be known your plans. I, I think it's reasonable given where the organization's been at. You know, feels like the Canadians are forever looking for a center. Um, and, and Shane Wright fits that bill. But, you know, it seems that New Jersey, who's behind them selecting, is, is interested in Uri Slavkovsky. Maybe there's a way to make a trade. I mean, look, I, I think the deception is is admirable. And, and I really don't – I can't tell you who they're going to pick. I think – Sort of the logic and, and the circumstances here make me inclined to believe it's Shane Wright, but you know I don't think the Canadians will be telling very many people, even in their own organization, that decision will be kept pretty tight. And it makes it a little bit more dramatic as we get towards Thursday because we're recording this on a, a rare Tuesday show. We're only you know 48 hours from, give or take, from when that pick's going to be made. And, and I, I like that we don't know about it. I think that that uh, creates a little bit of drama heading to the Bell Center. Absolutely. Also, I don't know if this is a bold prediction or not, but I'm also intrigued that they're 26 pick only because I have this weird feeling the Canadians are going to trade up. I don't know if they're going to do it up until the 
top three and, and try to see if they can snatch both right and Slavkovsky. But I think it's a little bit more realistic for them to kind of take that pick and maybe out a player and go up into the 15s or whatever like that. Like that's, that's not, maybe it's not a bold prediction, but I can totally see the Canadians trade up that second first round pick. Well, they have interest in it. And they also have a couple players that are, you know, have their names out there in, in trade discussions, you know, Josh Anderson, probably most notable among them. And so when you add that all together, they, they have some ammo probably to, to get another first round pick, you know, depending on how those deals might shake out. And look, they're hosting the draft. They're coming off an unexpected 32nd place finish. That was not in the plan. You know, believe it or not, a year ago at this time, they were still in the Stanley Cup final against Tampa. I believe that series ended July 7th and we're recording this on a July 5th. So 12 months ago, the Canadians were in the Stanley Cup final. You know, they're going to go up and pick first overall a year later. Um, and, you know, I don't think they want to stay at the bottom too long. And that was sort of an unplanned fall to the bottom and, you know, I, I think that they'll be pretty aggressive and not make turning this into a full rebuild, but there's still some some chips to fall here for, you know, I think Ken Hughes taking over this organization, putting his own fingerprints on it and, you know, maybe trading out a veteran or two. And then, you know, obviously now trying to usher more new prospects into the organization that can, can help them down the road. If memory serves, July 5th was game four of that Stanley Cup final. So that's when Josh Anderson, funny enough, scored that overtime winner to extend the series before we had game five in Tampa where they ultimately won. Had Tampa lost that game of the series, had gone back to game six, CJ and I would have met for the very first time in person at the Bell Center. Wow. This is like, this is our sliding doors moment. But, you know, fortunately, we've met a few times since. We're in a good spot. And this July 7th, I will be in the environment with you. So we'll be, we'll, be, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get it a year later. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's actually really wild. A year later. That would be really, that is pretty wild. Anyway, um, the Canadians obviously creating a lot of intrigue. I want to move on to another item, which is developing as we're recording, and it's entirely possible it might be finalized by the time this episode is out. But we could be on the verge of NHL history with Mike Greer being linked to the San Jose Sharks GM job. If he gets it, he'd be the first black GM in the National Hockey League. Um, what do you know so far about that Mike Greer story? Uh, does it look like it's happening? And, and what else can you tell us? Well, I can tell you he will be their new GM. Uh, the, the Sharks are going to formally announce that after we're recording this, but on Tuesday. And, you know, it's a huge moment for their organization, for for Mike, for – look, I, I do see a league – and look, we we've, we line up to point out the many flawed things that happen, but I do see a league that's moving in a positive direction with um, more inclusionary hiring practices, including more people in these decisions. Um, we say – Emily Engelnatsky become a video coach with the Washington Capitals. She's going to be the first yes. full-time female member of a, an NHL coaching staff. Uh, I know there have been multiple women that have interviewed for jobs in the American Hockey League for coaching roles recently. You know, we've seen a few women, you know, join front offices. Now you have Mike Greer, the first black man ever to run an NHL team. And so it, this has all happened in the span of 12 months. If you go back to Emily Castengay, uh, Cammy Granato's hirings in Vancouver. Um, so, you know, it's a huge moment and, you know, it's, it's a big step too for my career. I mean, he's been an assistant coach in the league, obviously had a long career, played for the Sharks. Um, it's, it's a big leap into that spot, but lots have done it before. We've seen a lot of former players become successful GMs. You know, even Doug Wilson, the man he's replacing, who spent so long in San Jose, had a ton of success there. There wasn't much of a gap between his playing career when he became the GM of the Sharks. And that was 
proved to be a great move for that organization. He brought them uh, a lot of great years and, and narrow misses, frankly, of, of becoming a cup team. And now it's going to fall to Mike Greer's hands to, to try to get the Sharks back to that, that position of prominence in, in the NHL. It's one thing to see a black man be linked to an NHL GM job and ultimately get it. We're not too far off from when we were talking about Kevin Weeks being connected with that GM job as well. So the idea that, I mean, I don't know when Mike Greer got involved in the process for, for the San Jose Sharks organization, but that is wild that at least two prominent black faces in the National Hockey League through their playing careers and everything else they've done after being linked to a GM job. I've never seen that before. And uh, yeah, it, we're, we're still at this point where we have to do go through a lot of firsts, but uh, big up to Mike Greer for him getting that opportunity in San Jose. That is exciting news. It is. And look, on that note, and this, this counts for women, people of color, you know, people we haven't traditionally seen in these jobs, they need opportunities like anybody to, you know, down the, down the line, right? In Emily Angle-Natsky's case, she was the Hershey Bears video coach. When it came time for them to need a new video coach at the NHL level, they looked to their AHL person and said, she's doing a great job, you know, come join the coaching staff. I mean, this is how this happens. And I think that's, that's where the positive development happens. The more people you see join the AHL, um, you know, whether it's women or, or people of color or, or get, you know, junior jobs in NHL front offices, it's just natural. Everybody has to climb a similar ladder. You have to gain experience somewhere. And so, you know, we'll celebrate the first at the NHL level and we should rightly celebrate this, this hiring of Mike Greer. But, you know, let's let's hope we continue to see more and more people getting opportunities lower down to, to build up their resumes and, and put themselves in a position for future jobs that open down the line. I think it's only natural. It's all tied together. You know, what, what worked in Mike Greer's favor in the shark search, and they did a very expansive search. I think they, they were all along open to someone who was sort of a first time in this position. They weren't necessarily looking for, you know, an experienced hand. And they talked to a lot of former players, you know, guys like Scott Mellenby uh, were, went pretty late into the, the mix on this job. Uh, Ray Whitney uh, went down the road in terms of being interviewed a couple times by the Sharks. I think Scott Nichols has been working for the, Nashville Predators was involved and, you know, there's other names too, but what all those, those four guys that I just mentioned share in common is, is they, they had long NHL careers. And, and so, you know, the Sharks were looking for someone with that particular bit of experience and, you know, bring back someone they know in my career, you know, played, played time in the organization has been around the NHL a long time and, you know, going to be pretty cool to see what, what he can do with that team because he's got some big decisions, man. He's got some heavy contracts. Whoever took this job, I would have said the same thing, of course, but, He's got a team going in the wrong direction. He's got players on the wrong age of 30. And he's got a lot of guys making like eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 million dollars, depending who we're talking about, that, that he's going to have to figure out how to navigate that uh, and, and ultimately get the Sharks back to, to beat a competitor. And he's also got to hire a coach, too, because remember, they've just fired Bob Bugner and the, and the entire coaching staff here in the last few days. So there's a lot of work to be done. But, you know, we'll, we'll celebrate Mike Greer on Tuesday, and then he's going to be two phones to his ear for the, the rest of the next few weeks, I would imagine. I was about to ask, considering uh, the timing of this hiring, how long until he gets on a flight to Montreal to be at the draft? Well, he was already going to be there, so that's that's handy. I, that's I don't know helpful. If, I don't know if the press conference we're doing is in San Jose or not on Tuesday. If it is, he's flying across the country, I would guess, not too long after that press conference wraps up because, you know, they, look, they've had Joe Will has been there. He's been their interim GM. He was their interim GM at, at the trade deadline. He's made decisions um for the organization and and you know they would have gone through their scouting process you know it's not like mike greer comes in and he's gonna have probably a ton of influence on their first round pick let's let's be real about this if he's 
taking over the job Tuesday. I don't think he's having strong opinions on who they're drafting Thursday, but um, you know, certainly by next week with free agency, that's, that's where you're going to expect to see him enact his plan. And he might be trading someone away. He might be buying somebody else. I mean, those, those are decisions that, that he's going to have to reach in pretty short order here. All right. Let's move on to the Winnipeg Jets, who uh, hired Rick Bonus as their head coach. He was previously in Dallas. We know he helped into the Stanley Cup final in 2020. Now he takes over uh, in, in Winnipeg, uh, where they had Paul Maurice, and then uh, Dave Lowry succeeded him after that. Yeah, to Dave Lowry, who succeeded him after that. And now they find themselves with a brand new coach, Rick Bonus. What do you think of his hiring? They say you can't go home again. I'm old enough to remember mm-hmm. Rick Bonus is a Jets 1.0 coach. I saw some pretty funny videos going around from his time, just a baby Rick Bonus behind the bench back in the old days. But, you know, it's funny. Rick did an interview, I think, a day or two before he was officially hired by the Jets last week. And he said he was 95% retired. So, you know, that, that's that's a bit reflective of what went on here, right? It's no secret the Jets were, you know, rolling out the red carpet, trying to get Barry Trotz to come there. Um, you know, and I think they had to pivot when when that didn't happen. And, and you know, a key part of this hiring is that Rick Bonus is a head coach, but they're bringing in Scott Arneal as an associate coach. And I think, you know, given Rick's age and experience level, it's it's a shorter term solution you know maybe at some point we're seeing him hand the reins off to scott arneal but certainly i think those guys are going to work in tandem at the top of the coaching staff to to try to fix the jets if, if that's the best way to put it i mean this is an organization wasn't that long ago i mean long enough five six years ago they're in a conference final but we we sort of thought they were going to have a more prolonged run of success with that core and it it hasn't happened i, I think you're going to see the possibility of a change or two to that core. I mean, you know, Blake Wheeler, the Jets are working to maybe find a place for him to be traded. They have a big decision looming on Pierre-Luc Dubois, uh, who's not long away from unrestricted free agency and seems unwilling to sign a long-term contract. And so, you know, maybe it's it's him that's dealt. You know, I, I noted that at Rick Bonus's welcome press conference, he, that he said he'd spoken with Mark Shifley and that, you know, Shifley seemed energized and excited by the opportunity because, you know, we, we heard some rumblings early in the offseason about his name even a little bit last summer, but, but perhaps he's, you know, going to, you know, find a, a new, a rejuvenated role within the team, you know, under bonus, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a pretty veteran group. And I think that it makes sense to want a veteran hand there because I think got a lot of good players, Julian, like that's, that the one thing I look at the jets, they didn't defend well for a number of years. Rick bonuses teams typically defend well. And, but they, they, they still have Kyle Connor and Nikolai Ehlers and Connor Hellebuck is, you know, a top tier goaltender in the NHL, like they, they got players, man. And so I, I think it's a big job for the coach because it, it definitely went sideways, you know, once Paul Maurice stepped down midway through last year. But, you know, I, I, I can see the logic in bringing in a veteran specific to this case. And that's why Barry Trotz held a lot of appeal early in the process. And ultimately Rick Bonus is the one who got the job. Yeah, you, you, you've got it right there with some of the players that they have in that core. I've, I've, I've always thought that the Jets, especially up at forward, and we can even mention guys like Josh Morrissey at the back as well, they have pieces to at least be going on decent runs year in, year out in the postseason. They just haven't done it as as frequently as I thought they would. I, I'm At least for, for Jets fans' sake, it'd be nice if Rick Bonus would be that guy to kind of lift them up into more of a legitimate contender in the Western Conference. Well, and look, he has a soft known for a softer touch with players, right? He's, he's a bit of a player's coach. I think it's fair to call him. And maybe some of these guys, like it, it tends you go back and forth. Usually it's a disciplinarian goes for a run with a team. And then you go to maybe someone who's more of a, a softer coach. I think we're, 
and I don't use soft in a negative terms here, but I just mean yeah. somebody's maybe more positive, accentuates the positives rather than harping on the mistakes. You know, I, I look at John Cooper in Tampa. I think that's exactly what he is. Um, you know, I think he's a motivator ultimately. And I think he's got a real good sense of people and, and which buttons to push, but doesn't necessarily do it with the stick. He, you know, does it with like a little bit of dangles, a little carrot in front of you rather than hitting you with the stick. So uh, I think that that's what bonus will bring too. And, and, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see the Jets bounce back next year. I mean, we got to see their off season. I'm not making any firm predictions until I know what the, you know, who gets traded and how it all shakes out. But to me, they're not a team like for them to make the playoffs next year should be the goal. Like that should be the expectation. I think they're, it's very much possible. They've, they've clearly got to change some systemic ways in which they play that they've, they've just been drowning in shot share for years. It feels like they, they just, I've never been able to figure out that issue. I think that that's something bonus should be able to help with if they make life easier on Hellebuck and, and he is the Connor Hellebuck when we've seen him at his best. I mean, that right there is going to make them a, a formidable team. And then they've got weapons up front that can beat you on their power play that, that can make individual plays. And, um, you know, ultimately I think this, we should be talking about a team that's on the rise again after this brief dip. All right, let's move on to Philip Forsberg. I know there's a lot of guys who could be free agents this summer, uh, but this file with with Philip Forsberg in Nashville, this one seems to intrigue me the most right now. He hasn't re-signed yet. I wonder what that means for his future with the franchise and beyond. Well, it's very much in peril now. You know, I think that that's fair to say. You, You get this close to the end, emotion comes into it on some level. There's a lot of emotion here. He, he loves Nashville. And as far as I can tell, they've loved him. But, you know, this is a business decision. And, and sometimes when you mix business and pleasure, when you mix them, when you put emotion into a business decision, sometimes things go sideways, right? And I think that that's at least a possibility here that they get to the end and they don't reach a deal and he has to go somewhere else. I mean, look, that's, that's the outcome. I think if he... This is different than some other players where I'm saying they've got to peek at the market and they might come back. I think if he gets to market, it's too late in his case. You know, it reminds me a little bit of Daniel Alfredson years ago. Like no one ever really imagined him leaving Ottawa. I don't even think Daniel Alfredson imagined himself leaving Ottawa until it got to the last few days and they didn't sort of step up and pay him what he thought he was worth at that time. And, you know, then once once you mentally make the decision, you're looking somewhere else when you're when you are so ingrained in one team, one organization, one way of doing things. I think it's it's hard to put that genie back in the bottle. And so that's that's what's at play here with Forsberg. And and look, there's a lot of great things about playing in Nashville. It's it's a tax-friendly state, you know, one of a handful in the league. It's it's got a great fan base. I mean, you don't have to sell Phil Forsberg on how great the lifestyle is there and I think how much he loves the team. But you know, they're also an organization that they they haven't typically awarded signing bonuses to some of their top players. I know Roman Yossi was an exception. Uh, they, they certainly have not given up very many no trade clauses ever. Um, Yossi, again, their captain got one in his last deal. And, and so those things become sticking points as much as money too. the, the way the money's paid out and some of the, you know, the, the things around the deal, like the no trade clause. And so, you know, I almost feel like it makes too much sense that these sides stay together. Like, it feels like you have a couple that's in love. Why are you breaking up? But you know, there's, there's some, you, you put money on the table. It's a big decision. It's, it's, you know, it's a big time in Forsberg's career. I, I think ultimately with them being able to give him an eight-year deal too, we shouldn't discount that. Like if Nashville goes to eight years and eight and a half million, for example, that's what they said they're doing or not. That's a $68 million contract. 
if he was to get that over seven years, which is the most he could get on the market from someone else, he's got to get close to 10 million a year, nine and change to make the same money. And then there is tax consideration. So even if you look at it that way, is he getting 10 million on a seven year deal somewhere else? Maybe it's coming off a hell of a season, 42 goals, 84 points, I believe um, his best year production wise as, as an NHL player. But I, I think that it, it makes too much sense that ultimately they'll reach a deal, but every day that passes, they don't have that deal, Julia. And I start to go, wow, this guy might be joining a free agent class, like truly joining it. That includes Goodrow and Kadri and, and Malkin and Latang and Klingberg and, and Evander Kane. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of difference makers at the top end of this free agent class that, you know, maybe I, I never thought we'd get here with Forsberg, but it, it seems like it's at least a possibility. There's a reason why you ranked him as high as you did on your big board, Siege. He, well, he'll be higher. I'm refreshing the big board coming out of draft weekend. And if he's not signed by early next week, he'll be, he'll be even higher. Okay. All right. Something we'll keep in mind for the next time we have to talk about the big board. Well, there's one last story I want to get to before we get to ask CJ. And it's a very interesting one uh, surrounding uh, a Russian goaltender by the name of Ivan Fedotov, who signed with the Philadelphia Flyers last week, uh, but was later detained for evading military service. It doesn't look as if he might be joining the Flyers organization anytime soon. There's a lot of weird details with this story. What, what do you know about this particular uh, story that's broken down in the last few days? Unfortunately, I don't have a lot to add other than it's very concerning situation. Uh, you wonder about the fallout for other players and their safety and their ability to come to North America that are, that are in Russia. Um, and like just on a human level, this is awful. I mean, it sounds like the guy's detained against his will, potentially poisoned, or that at least there's some suggestion from his lawyer that he wasn't feeling well, was hospitalized. Now they're sending him to some remote location to serve military service. Um, your heart goes out to him and you just wonder, you know, I don't have any hot takes and I don't have any, unfortunately, any private information or more to shed on light on the story. I think the Flyers and the NHL are still trying to get their minds around what's going on too. I mean, and this is happening a world away at a time where there still is a war going on. And, you know, I think any player that went back to Russia, there's some concern about their ability to, to get the proper documentation to fly back, to rejoin their teams. We're going to see it. You know, this is hardly a bold prediction, but Thursday and Friday at the draft, I, I think we're going to see very few Russians drafted and, and teams will be reluctant just not knowing there's, there's an uncertainty attached to when they might be able to get those players. And so this is this is an unfortunate time in the world. And, and, you know, Fedotov just signed his NHL deal with Philadelphia, right? He was a free agent uh, a couple months ago when he, when he signed that contract and, you know, hope for him and his family that he's, he's safe and that, you know, that this uh, – this doesn't go on too long for him. That's well said. We can move on to Ask CJ. We managed to get a handful of questions from you uh, watching at home or listening wherever you are listening to this podcast. Uh, I want to start off with uh, this one from Florida man, Matt Maroon. What are, C what are Julian and CJ's favorite movies of all time? Oh, you know, I haven't watched a movie in a couple of years. And what do you mean in a couple of years? I mean, like, it's been years since I watched a movie, like sat down and watched a whole movie. Do you remember what the last one was? No, it's so long. I don't remember it. Oh, God. I watched Top Gun Maverick, I want to say, two, three weeks ago. The the You ever watched the original one? Oh, I watched the original. Are you kidding? Okay. 
watch you got to watch top gun maverick you've definitely watched the original watch the new one trust me you're gonna love it it's amazing like it's i have not had that much fun at a movie theater in a long time all right i'll take your advice on that because it's not like i'm i don't hate movies i I guess it's just you sit who sits down and does anything for two straight hours anymore like doesn't well (laughs) We, we watch hockey games Okay, yeah, that's an exception. That's the only thing I do for two two plus hours, and I do a lot of that, which which goes hand in hand with the movie thing. So my favorite all time sports movie, sorry, movies have largely been sports movies. Like I loved Tin Cup back in the day. I was a big Mighty Ducks guy as a kid. I don't know. I don't know if it would stand the test of time. I certainly haven't watched that in many many years. But those movies were were big on my rotation as a kid. Um, But yeah. I, I don't, I'm not good on pop culture, man. Like I just, I just listen to my Taylor Swift and uh, that's as, that's about as close as I get to being hip these days. Uh, the dark Knight is probably near the top of my list of favorite movies. Uh, brilliant Christopher Nolan flick, obviously. Um, I liked black Klansman, uh, which Spike Lee did a couple of years ago. It actually follows a uh, an undercover cop who works uh, in Colorado who manages to infiltrate the Ku Klux Klan. It actually was based off a memoir written by a guy who actually did it. Uh, brilliant movie. Really enjoyed it. Um, I feel like there's more, but like I, every time I get put on the spot for these things, like I, I always get stumped. And I, like there's always like a movie I like forget. But like those are two that definitely uh, get out with Jordan Peele. Big fan of that movie. Big fan of Jordan Peele. Uh, I don't, you probably never watched mad TV when you were younger. No, no mad TV. Uh, basically like, like, uh, like an alternate version of SNL, uh, Jordan Peele got to start from there and now he's turned himself into one of the best horror filmmakers living today. And I don't even like horror like that. So Why yeah. do questions like this make us seem like we're a hundred years apart. Like, like, it's like we grew up in like, just like different universes. Um, which is hilarious because, like, well, we're going to have a beer in Montreal this week and everything will feel normal. But, like, anything like this, like, it's like, I don't know what you're talking about and you don't know what I'm talking about. Because I'm thinking, like, an old, I, I thought of one that I used to love is Fight Club. But, like, there's. Oh, no, I love Fight Club. Okay. I was thinking there's no way you, at the time, you could have watched that because you'd be a little kid and, you know, it was. But I, it's a great movie. It was ahead of its time. I think Chuck Planyak wrote the book. Um, but I love that movie. In fact, like, I'm inclined now, if I go, I'm going to watch Top Gun Maverick and I actually might rewatch Fight Club because it's probably been. 15 years since I watched it fight club. Definitely that Pulp Fiction, uh, Quentin Tarantino. Uh, I know there's some issues with, uh, some particular words. He likes to add some of his scripts, but like, uh, you know, uh, Pulp Fiction is one of the best movies. I think he's done uh, Django Unchained, I think was also a really good movie. So there's some other, there's some other movies popping into my head, but fight club is definitely uh, in there, even though you we already the first broke of fight club. Yes. Uh, and I'm not going to, you know, well, we already kind of broke that rule mm-hmm. sort of, Mm-hmm. Anyway, right. uh, next one uh, from Addy R eight seven oh five. Do the Flames offer Matthew Kachuk the captaincy to entice him to stay in Calgary if Johnny Gaudreau ends up leaving? Possibly. You know, I, I don't. I don't have any direct knowledge on that, but why not? I think I, I, they've already been pretty aggressive with Gaudreau. It sounds like they've put a pretty sizable offer on the table. Obviously much like the Forsberg situation I discussed earlier, they can give him eight years, which when you're talking about the kind of money he's getting, that eight year is life-changing money in itself. You know, if he ends up signing for something like nine and a half or $10 million, that's an extra nine and a half or 10 million. It's going to be hard to get from another team. 
if if Goudreau leaves, uh, you know, I think that that signing Kachuk, signing Kachuk is already an important, huge, important decision as it is. But you know, you, you try to you try to add, you go with a full core press. Anything in the positive, like if you're Tampa, you trump your your sales tax. If you're Calgary, you trump great great way of life, close to the mountains, and here's the captaincy, bud. So I I, I would have no problem if they did that, and I would think that that uh, is at least a possibility. You know, there's there's a couple big moving parts in Calgary. I think that that you know, I was asked on a radio hit I just did Julian recently, you know, which, which Canadian GM is going to be the most likely to have two phones to his ear this week. Um, I think Brad tree living is the one to keep an eye on. I just, there's just so many different Ooh. things that might happen. And if, and if he loses Goudreau, which is a possibility, you know, then he's got a fair bit of cap space to maybe enter the free agent market for somebody else too. And so that's, that's where, you know, you wonder, would he, would he pivot and go to Kadri? Um, you know, I think that there's, there's a lot of, it could be a spicy week in Calgary. Oh, two phones. First, we're talking about with Kyle Dubas, and we get to the end of the podcast, and Brad Treliving might be doing the two phones thing. Um, this next one from JY Not. Hey, CJ, I know the NHL is always looking for ways to draw interest. Is there a scenario you could see similar to All-Star Weekend with them having some sort of alumni versus current players of each team skills comp friendly game? Any thoughts? Have fun in Montreal. It's not a bad idea. I know they've involved the alumni a little bit more um, in some of the the big events. I actually went to a game in August 2019 in Finland that they do. Um, I was over there on a work trip and they have the current day NHL stars versus like the old stars. And, and it's a big charity event that, that seems to be huge there. I mean, um, I can't see why you couldn't apply it to something like that here. You know, I don't know how competitive it is, but you know, it's kind of cool if you you grew up loving a player and then see him on the same ice as Patrick Laine, like Timo Solane against Patrick Laine in a game is kind of interesting. Um, I, I think you're going to see more from the alumni though. They've, they've a lot has happened there since Glenn Healy took over that organization, a lot of positive and, you know, they're looking for ways to make money for, for former players because they want to fund programs to help those that, that need it. And, you know, getting them front and center with the current NHL stars is a great way to do it. Last one from Boyd underscore twelve twelve. After the Ryan McDonough trade, which we didn't even get to that much uh, on the podcast, but this is, I guess, our way to get into it. After the Ryan McDonough trade, potentially re-signing Philip Forsberg, which we also went into on today's episode. Are you hearing anything on the Preds' next move? Given David Poyle has said he is willing to spend to the cap. Well, I think really we have to be looking at what happens if they don't sign Philip Forsberg. Then they're in the market for some of the the scoring help that that's there. Um, you know, they got a pretty, pretty strong blue line adding McDonough. Uh, that, that contract might not age great, but I'm willing to bet it's going to be pretty positive for them, you know, next season. You know, Julian Breesbaugh wouldn't have traded Ryan McDonough, as he said, if it wasn't a hard cap league, but he had to make a difficult decision because he's worried about, you know, keeping some younger players on his roster. Um, you know, I, I, I think you'll see Nashville be pretty aggressive, but I don't think we can say, oh, they, they traded for McDonough and they signed Forsberg. Well, if they do that, there's not a lot of cap space to go around. But if they don't end up committing eight or eight and a half million dollars to Forsberg, they're going to probably spend it somewhere else. And I think you're going to see them chase goal scoring help because all of a sudden they've lost a 40 goal scorer from the lineup. And, you know, fortunately, if 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 that is the way it plays out, there's there's a few options out there for them. There's guys that can put the puck in the net in this rate of class. All right. Thank you, everyone who chimed in with the question for Ask CJ. And that's going to do it for the CJ show on this Tuesday. Uh, thank you for accommodating me uh, with the date switch because uh, an upset stomach 
kept me from doing it on our regular Monday. But uh, Thursday, we'll be uh, together in person with our pre-draft show. I'm looking forward to that, as always, with every time we've been together in the same building siege. I'm coming to Montreal literally in an hour. So I'm, I'm coming in hot to your city. Glad you're feeling better and uh, look forward to re- you know linking up with all the SDP crew down there. It's going to be big, big presence for us around draft. Yeah, man. And uh, looking forward to meeting everyone on Friday for the Fan Appreciation Night. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Big thanks to Jesse Blake for producing today's show. And we'll be back on Thursday with a brand spanking new episode. For CJ, I'm Julian. So long and peace. Enjoy the NHL draft and everything else that comes with it before, during, and after. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.